Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. All the things Chris Renoir suffered helped make him a better comic. He says he's not afraid of going to hell because he's already worked in retail. He learned how to lie by being a terrible server at a restaurant. And he knows how to take a joke because he hasn't lived up to the aspirations of his Haitian immigrant parents. I don't know if you noticed, but immigrant parents, they can't give a compliment to one child without insulting another one. Can't do it. It's a physical impossibility. I found this out because my brother just graduated from college and we was driving back home and my dad was like, Richard, good job. You went to school and you finished your class. You weren't distracted by meaningless things like drugs, white women, bad haircuts. I was like, this talking about me. Down to the white women, how do you know about that? Chris's power of observation comes out in all aspects of his comedic career. He recently starred in the indie film Mountains. It was shot entirely in South Florida with a cast mostly from South Florida. It won a special award at the Tribeca Film Festival, and Chris's acting is a big reason why. Because Chris does more than act in the film. He brings his own experiences from being born in Miami and raised in Miramar. He does his own comedy in the movie. He even helped shape a couple of the characters based on his own life. You can tell from his work that Chris is first and foremost a storyteller. So let's hear some stories about how he got here. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much, Carlos. That was an amazing intro. Well, that was an amazing comedy piece. We, <laughs> we had so many to pick from, and we were like, which do we have to bleep the least? <laughs> I'm working on that. I'm working on that, Carlos. But yeah, you chose a perfect clip. That was amazing. No, no. You keep, you keep, it, pretty, you keep it pretty clean. We yeah, were going yeah. through. You keep it pretty clean. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, we, and it, it kind of goes hand in hand because we felt like, man, he's really, his comedy's really polished. And you're a young guy. Um, and we, we saw, it kind of goes hand in hand with the movie Mountains. We saw that. We had, we had the director of that movie uh, in with us at a, as a past guest. And, re, and to me, like, you really jumped off the screen. I was like, oh, this guy is a star. Um, wow. but, but you were good, but you were also funny. And it just seemed like I, I wanted to ask you about that, about getting into that spot. You, you seem to put so much of yourself into that role. Can you talk to me about how that, that came up and, like, what you tried to bring to the film? Well, first of all, I want to say I appreciate that very much. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And uh, it was amazing because I remember being sent the script by Monica, mm -hmm. the director, Monica Sorrell. Monica Sorrell, shout out to her. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. Uh, she sent me the script. And uh, when I read the character description, I could have sworn they were spying on me. <laughs> yeah. like, has she been following me around? Yeah, I'm like broke college student that lives with his parents. I'm like, this sounds so familiar. I can get into this character. Yeah, right? Like, it, like some people, like, you know, it's in the festival run right now, and some, mm -hmm. some of my friends have seen it. And a lot of people are like, did you have a hand in writing the movie? And I'm like, I didn't write anything. Like, honestly, I just did my own comedy. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously there was various points where I did improvision, but in terms of the character and the you know just his upbringing that was all written by them but it was so similar to my life so it was just like kismet that i i landed on a role like this you know and it probably says something i mean it does say something about her that she understood the community that she was making a movie about exactly and she picked you for the spot right right see she i don't know she did a lot of research you know when it came to you know because the movie's about gentrification in miami right and also the stand-up comedy scene she did a really good job and obviously she asked me questions as well 
But uh, the struggle is the same with all creative endeavors. Like if you have immigrant parents, you know how it is that struggle of trying to explain to them the path of, you know, entertainment. It's very different than the path that a lot of our parents took, which is, you know, probably like the medical field, which is very objective. You pass a test, you get a job. Whereas in entertainment, there there is no test that you can pass that just gets you on stage, you know, at a big theater. Like, it's just years and years of practice and polishing your set, just like you said, you know? And, and you mentioned medical specifically because both your parents, uh, they're, they're Haitian immigrants, mm-hmm. and they both went into a medical field. Right. So you, when you tell them, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to go into comedy, I imagine that played out just like it did in that character. It that movie. really did. They didn't love that. It really did. And, you know, it was even crazier because not only was my character so similar to me, the father was so similar to what I was going through back in 2020. Because I was in uh, UCF. I was at UCF for creative writing. I'm still taking online classes right now. And uh, I just remember because I was so focused on comedy, I didn't have a lot of time to focus on school. I have like a one-track mind. If I'm focused on one thing, I can't really focus on another. You're a unitasker. Exactly. Versus a multitasker. Right, exactly. I, I need to write that down. I'm going to tell my mom <laughs> that. I'm a unitasker. Listen, know? I got jokes. I got all kinds of I reference I like that, points. Carlos. I like that. <laughs> So, uh, you know, it just every semester I would just take one last class and one last class and one last class. Finally, in 2020, I wasn't taking any classes, but the comedy was doing so well. I was doing festivals. I was having videos go viral. And you're and you're like 20 years old at the time. Yeah, I was uh, at 2020. I was 23. Okay, 23. Just turned 23. And so when my father found out I wasn't going to school, you know, we had a lot of friction at that point. And um yeah, we, we went some time without talking. And it really hurt um, because I, I knew that they wanted the best for me. But sometimes... Um, you they don't understand the best for you was what you need, what you were doing. Exactly, you know. And so reading that in the script was something that I could identify with. I know a lot of other people can identify with. You know, me and my father are great now, you know. He just came to a, a show that I did at the Arst right, right down the street, uh, opening up for Hassan, and he loved the experience. You know, talk to me about that, that experience um, for him, for someone who's like, you have to explain very specifically, listen, this is how the creative uh, career works. And sometimes you're at a little club. Sometimes you're at the village theater, mm-hmm. which is uh, in Little Haiti, which where the movie was shot partly mm-hmm. there. But mm-hmm. you also performed there. Mm-hmm. But now you're able to invite your dad to the Arsht for a show. Yeah. Take me through to that day. Well, it was an amazing experience because, you know, I started doing comedy at a young age, 14 years old. I did my, yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What kind of comedy are you doing at 14? <laughs> it was much cleaner than what you put on the intro. I'll was it that. Yeah, it was really it was. It was. It was at the, the high school talent show. Um, and so my father went to that. And uh, my father, my mother, my brothers did too. I won second place. You know, you can't win them all. But <laughs> that but only made you hungrier. It made me hungrier. You know, I never, I never was discouraged, you know. Uh, but my father went to that. Hmm. And that was the the first live show that he's ever seen. But at that time, I'm pretty sure my parents thought it was a phase. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, hey, my kid has a good voice, and he sang in the talent show. Exactly. My kid is kind of funny at home. And look, he, he, he was funny on stage for five minutes. Right. And it, that kind of thing, they were like, oh, my goodness, you spoke so well. You can be a good lawyer. And I was like, that's not exactly what I want to do. So they thought it was a phase, I believe. Oh, that's but, funny. That's or, funny. Your dad already like, okay, that's interesting. What can that... What can we connect to that that actually makes money? Right. It's a transferable skill in oh, their mind, funny. you know? Oh, that's funny. So um, 
they have seen clips of different stand-up that I've done throughout the years, but they haven't been to a show live. So when I got the call that I was going to be doing the arch and opening up for Hassan Minaj, I was like, he has to come to the show. I mean, that's that's pretty huge, right? Right. Like right. you're opening for Hassan Minaj, you're already doing, you've done something to get to that point. Exactly. Exactly. So it was it was amazing to have him come to the show. Um, I would have loved my mom to come to the show, but she was busy that night. Um, but yeah, he came. And, you know, they treated us really nice, you know. Like they, a professional. Exactly. You know, what would you like to eat? My dad was like, I'll take a turkey sandwich. I was like, yeah, <laughs> go ahead, dad. <laughs> take advantage, you know. They gave us a green room. It, it was very nice. It was, You know, it's, it seats 2,500 people. That's amazing. So when my dad saw the seats, he was like, wow. Like, What was the biggest venue you played before that? Honestly, um, before that, I would say maybe the improv, you know. And that seats about 300. Yeah. You know, so from 300 to 2,500. So take me through that day. Oh, Like, how did the comedy that you do, because obviously a lot of folks came across your comedy, um, if they did in the movie, through Instagram. Right. Which it plays great. I mean, on a phone the size of your hand, it plays amazing. Mm -hmm. How did you find that that comedy played in front of a crowd that big? Did you think, like, are these people going to... Are these people going to get it? Well, honestly, you know, you get nervous before every show, which is what I was explaining to my dad, because my dad saw the jitters, mm-hmm. and he was like, you, you're going to be okay. And I was like, I know, but, it, you know, it's just you get nervous for every show. It doesn't matter if it's 30 people or 3,000 people, you're going to get nervous. And so uh, I was just, I think the main thing for me was just making sure that I hit the time, you know, right, uh, 15 minutes. And just making sure that uh, the comedy that I had served the headliner, you know, Hassan, you know. Well, like 15 minutes, we should say, that's a big set. It is. That is a significant amount of time to be live on stage. I mean, like, we're live on the radio every day for an hour. but So we know, like, those 15 minutes, uh, when you're up there alone, uh, can be nerve-wracking. Nerve sure. So I can see why you were nervous. Mm-hmm. What? When was the, was there a point doing it? that you were like, oh, I got this? Was there a joke that landed that you were like, I got this? I would say the first joke. I always tell my dad this. Um, I can get super nervous before a show. The second I step on stage, it leaves It leaves my body. Really? It leaves my body. Honestly, probably before the first joke, just hearing them say my name and just walking on the stage, like I, I you know, kind of skipped a little bit, just, just, in, just a joyous skip to, towards the stage, you know? And I felt like, I got this, you know? It's just like every other show. And was there, like, take us through, was there a joke that killed? Oh, my goodness. I have a um, a more political joke that, that killed uh, that I like to do about... Uh, Give <laughs> a, it to us. About how old Joe Biden is. Uh, the joke goes... Uh, uh, I like Joe Biden. I voted for Joe Biden. But uh, Joe Biden looks like he wakes up every day and finds out he's the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and when they heard that and started laughing, I was like, okay, I got him. You All right, I mean? that first laugh. Yeah, exactly. For a comedian, what is that? What is that's got to be fuel for you, right? Getting right. that first laugh. Right. It's like I don't know. I you know I've never flown a plane, but I uh, would imagine once you get it in the air, you're like okay, cruise control now. You know what I mean? Listen, the confident guy. Like you, you strike me as the kind of guy who's like, yeah, if the, something happened to the pilot, I could fly the I plane. I think I can do it. Air. I think I can do it. One Google search and I'll be fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you better hope that plane has Wi-Fi. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> So is that, it sounds like the, the, a lot of the inspiration from your comedy, it, it sprouts from your, I mean, it obviously sprouts from your daily life, but a lot of it comes from your family life. Because I've heard you do, I've heard you do your dad's voice already. We right. already heard it, we already heard it in the intro and we heard you do it already. Mm-hmm. Your I dad mean, is a good source of comedy. He is, you know, and uh, 
he was a source of comedy at the talent show. You know, I did a joke about him at the talent show. Oh, I got to hear that. Oh, my goodness. More or less. Uh, I would have to send it to you. I don't know if I remember. It was just, you know what it was? It was a joke about me originally wanting to be a basketball player growing up and my dad coming to my basketball games and just yelling at me through the stands. You know what I mean? And uh, he was like, I I I have a joke where I was in the game. I was very hype. I was like, I'm going to do this basketball thing. And I shot the ball and it was an air ball. And my dad yelled at me, Chris, you have, you have to pass it next time. Pass the ball. So next time I came down the court, I had the ball. I passed this to a guy. He went up and he made the basket. And I looked at my dad and he said, Wong team. And I said, <laughs> wow, you know. And, uh, you know, it was it was a great joke. It only won me second place. But, hey, you know, uh, I've been do- I've been doing jokes about my family life when I was younger. But I remember when I first started doing comedy at open mics in Orlando uh, back in 2017, I kind of avoided doing family jokes Hmm. um, because I didn't want to be, you know, labeled as a a Haitian comedian. Mm. You know, I didn't I wanted to make my audiences broader. But over time, what I've noticed is that, you know, now nowadays people are really looking for that diversity in comedy and uh entertainment in general you know? and like the specificity right like of course that's part of it because growing up you know i used to watch deaf comedy jam on my ipod touch <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> before bed i would just be watching comedy jam and i would see all these black comics but they were talking about the african-american experience very seldomly did i see a comic i, I probably would see one comic i've seen one comic do haitian material so i was like i don't know if there's a path for a Haitian comic to find success. But nowadays, there's so much diversity in comedy that that, those are the stories that they're seeking. They're seeking the LGBTQ perspective. They're seeking the immigrant perspective. They're seeking uh, even disabled people's perspectives, you know? And so now I find a pride in telling, you know, my family story again. Like, this is a unique experience and people, there's a lot of people out there that want to hear it. Our guest today is Chris Renoir. He's a comedian and actor for Miramar, and you can find him on Instagram at Chris, R-E-N-O-I-S. Uh, if you missed any part of our conversation, all Sundial episodes are available on our daily podcast. Chris, um, talk to me then. We were talking about inspiration, right? And how um, you're trying to find what it is that you're interested in, but also what makes uh, what makes uh, your audiences laugh. And talk to me about specifically about saying, like, uh, honing in on that specificity. Like like family and you were like the immigrant experience, uh, being being something that that worked for you that you felt comfortable making comedy about. Mm-hmm. It took it took years for me to get comfortable with it, because as I said before, um, I didn't want to limit my audience. You know, mm. um, did you find that it crossed over? Like like I know for me, like the comedy works because. You're doing your dad's voice, mm-hmm. and I hear my dad's voice, who right. was a Cuban immigrant. So mm-hmm. I think, like, did you find that there was that commonality that it, it broke it, out yeah, beyond? Yeah, it, it really does. You know, it. what you realize is that, you know, it isn't just a Haitian thing. Mm. You know, yeah. Cubans can relate. Puerto Ricans can relate. You know, Dominicans can relate. Because, you know, we all kind of live that same struggle of our parents coming to this country and being like, listen— we we sacrifice so much to even get you here. We don't want you to mess up, you know, and having that pressure on you. And so 
having that experience and talking about it, uh, I find that it's not just, you know, it, I know, it's specific, but it's it's very broad. Yeah, it's very broad. You know, and so um, like, why are you playing video games? You should be right. you should be saying like, right when I was your age. <laughs> when, exactly, everybody gets that speech. You know, right. even even Americans. You know, yeah. And so it was it was tough when I first started doing comedy. I I wanted to stay away from it because I thought it was gonna limit my audience and this is that. But I found that uh, now that I speak more about it, people come up to me and they're just like, that's real. And that's as a comic, that's what you're searching for. You're searching for that connection. Right. You're searching for something that everybody can relate to and uh, a common experience. And so I found a lot of success in telling that story. You know, It's funny you should use that word because like storytelling is what I see so much of your comedy. Like, yes, there's the buildup to the joke. But it's you're building a picture. Like I can picture your family life. I can picture your brothers. You know when you're you're holding yourself in in, in uh, contrast with him, um, and you you have a creative writing background, right? Mm-hmm. Like, tell, talk to me about that. About learning to become a storyteller. Like you went to UCF to study creative writing, right? And Donald Glover was an inspiration. Donald right? Glover was an inspiration for me to get uh, a creative writing degree. Uh, honestly, I've studied comedy ever since I was 14 years old. So I've always loved to tell a story, um, but I didn't necessarily know what to look for when I went to college that would aid with the comedy. Because comedy was it for you already. Exactly. I already, Whether your parents knew it or not, exa- it was going to be it. Exactly. I knew what I was going to do since I was 14. And so, you know, one of my influences was Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. And he didn't go to college. Mm. Chris Rock is another one of those. He didn't go to college. I believe Kevin Hart didn't go to college either. But I knew my parents wanted me to go to college. And so I was like, okay, so I have to find somebody that I look up to that went to college and got a degree. And Donald Glover, who's an amazing comedian, actor, and musician, went to NYU for creative writing. So I was like, I guess that's the closest thing, you know? And uh, I can get a creative writing degree, you know, um, probably learn how to make scripts and stuff like this. And so that's the, the path that I took in order to get my parents' approval you know, to leave the house, go to UCF and and achieve this dream. It, well, two of the guys you named, Donald Glover and, and Dave Chappelle, both do an interesting thing, which is not just go on stage and do a comedy set and go off. Like, And Chris Rock also, you can say he also, has, there's acting involved. Like they both do acting. Donald Glover does music. Mm-hmm. And like your, your, your skits, like your Instagram stuff, like you'll do some musical comedy. You'll right. change lyrics <laughs> to a song. I swear to you, I swear you did, um, you did like a, a, a redo of gin and juice and i was like i was like is that i was like is that snoop dogg or is that him doing his voice like so perfectly uh t- talk to me about that interest like have you always been into voices and music and like that that aspect of not just being one thing right um yeah no honestly i've always liked making parodies or make like uh comedic music I, we had this one teacher in uh, high school, Miss Cordonell, Mrs. Cordonell, she was amazing. Shout out to Miss Cordonell. Yeah, right. Uh, she would have us. She was our um, language arts teacher. Okay. And so we would read these short stories, and she would give us projects to either make a PowerPoint presentation uh, to explain what we read in the story. And one option she gave us was like, if you want to make a song, you guys can make a song. And so I had a couple friends who were rappers. You know, they had their own studio equipment. They were like, let's make a song. Right. And I, I always love those assignments. One assignment. It almost I, feels like you're cheating. Right. Right. Exactly. This is easy. You know. <laughs> and so we made comedic like rap songs that would summarize what we read in the story. And so I feel like that came from that 
you know, assignment in school, like those various projects that we had in school that we were allowed to do that, mm. like kind of birthed that love for uh, comedic music, you know. And so as I grew up, you know, I was very just focused on the stand up comedy aspect. But, you know, nowadays, you know, you have to add the social media aspect as well. Sure. And uh, so when I started in 2017 doing open mics, people were like, Chris, you should get into social media. You should make some sketches and skits. And I was like, I don't know if I want to. But by 2019, I was like, you know what? I'll try it. And I just got back to comedic music. And uh, that gin and juice. Yeah. For a long time, people thought I sounded like Snoop Dogg. Dude, it sounds. Do it I sounds really? Like yeah. I, li- I literally Googled. I was like, did Snoop Dogg make a COVID parody? <laughs> Because and did you like use the audio for it? Because I was like, it was it was that good. Wow, yeah, yeah, no. For some time, a lot of people were like, "You sound like Snoop Dogg." So I went to my friend. And I was like, "Hey, listen, I think we can make a Snoop Dogg parody." See, now you said Snoop Dogg, so now I'm hearing you as Snoop Dogg really? in my head. Yeah, one, two, three. It's okay. Let me stop. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that seems to be like the thing that really interests you is is finding different ways to tell those stories because ultimately that's what you're doing is you're like I'm bored in the house at, at home during COVID yeah. and like here's a way to tell that story uh, to tell that comedy story that comedic story through music right so Donald Glover continues to be an inspiration for you yes till this day till this day I think Donald Glover his path was like a path that I wanted to mimic you know mm. go to school um, get a degree um, and uh, prove that because what it is is that when you do comedy, um, it's not just enough to do the social media because it, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with my idea of like doing more uh, fa- family stories. You know, I, I didn't want to limit my audience. And so when you mm-hmm. do social media comedy, people can also look at you as just a social media comic. Mm-hmm. And so what I like about Donald Glover is that even though he made a lot of YouTube sketches early on in YouTube, he also did stand up and he also uh wrote scripts which solidified that he's actually um a viable piece in in Hollywood, you know what I mean? Right. And so is that something that interests you too is is to then explore that since you have that writing background and and really writing jokes is writing. Of course, of course. You know, I I want people to know that I have um various ideas whether it's through comedy, whether it's through screenwriting. Hmm. You know, and wh- whichever avenue tells that story the best, I know that I can, you know, serve that story, you know. Talk to me about what it's like performing a comedy. Do you ever wonder if I perform here at the Arch, even at a huge venue at the Arch, it's in, it's in Miami, uh, does that com- is that comedy going to translate if I perform in L.A.? Or right. A- any, t- tell me about some of those times where you thought about, like, spreading out and, and are people outside where I grew up going to get? where I'm coming from. Right. Um, I always think that when I go to New York, I love performing in New York. And I feel like New York is a great place to know if your comedy serves, you know, a lot of other places. Mm. Another um, place, other places in in America is definitely middle America, you know? Right. If you can tell jokes there, you can tell jokes anywhere. And so that's something that I'm constantly thinking of when I'm writing material. Can I go to Iowa? Is this funny in Iowa? Exactly. Is this funny funny. in Wyoming? Is this funny, you know, in Colorado? These type of things. Mm. And so it's very, you know, you could be specific in a certain way, but I I can't tell jokes about the I-95, you know, 
in Wyoming or, or the Palmetto right. in New York. They're not going to understand that kind of thing. But you do some of that when you're here. Exactly. You know, I might I, off the cuff talk about traffic and stuff like this. But for the most part, I try to stay away from that in my written material because mm-hmm. I know eventually I'm going to be traveling and I don't want to <laughs> limit my experience to, to these people and, uh, around the country. Right. I'm curious, you know, the, so much in comedy is sometimes sometimes dealing with um, difficult things in your life. Have have there ever been moments in your life uh, that were challenging and you found yourself, was it hard to be funny at points? Or was that something that you always leaned on to get through those moments? I believe it was something I always leaned on. Especially uh, when I started doing comedy in Orlando, I had these buddies, Sean Philippe, Jeff Wright, Jeff LaFrance. They could laugh about anything. Oh, so it helps to have a group that, that right. gets your tribe. Right, exactly. And, you know, when I was in college, I was I was broke. I was depressed and all of this. I always had to call home for money, but I can always go to those guys to laugh about things. You Not know? for money, but to laugh. No, exactly. <laughs> I think I still owe them money, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, I always knew I could use comedy. I could use jokes to find perspective, honestly. Hmm. I really believe that comedy gave me a, a, a heightened sense of self-awareness just to laugh at things, it's not that serious. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to get through it, especially when I'm on stage. I've had times where I was, I didn't know if I could tell a joke. But once I got on stage, it was, like, therapeutic. What what, what happened that you were thinking, like, I don't know if this is, what was going on with the other um, I don't know. It's just various things. Uh, sometimes it's, it's really, like, small issues that, you know, really uh, bother you. You know, whether it's relationships, whether it's work and, you know, whether it's not knowing if you could pay the rent. Those are certain things as a as a man. You just like, I don't know if I could be funny today, but you go on stage and you find a way, you know, and and seeing other people smile just works in your favor, I guess. You know, that's that's uh, that's like the pro move. right? Right. I have all this stuff going on, but if I don't go on stage, I don't get paid. Right, right. <laughs> and it's like sometimes like doing this job. You show up, and it's like you go live at one o'clock, and everything that happened before doesn't matter for this hour. But but and as a comic, sometimes it's, you're not even getting paid. You're just going to a mic, just working on material. Oh, that's you know that, what was what was that period like? Do you you're not you're you're getting paid now at every gig now. You're uh, not doing free gigs now. No, I I promise you, I'm still doing free gigs. Just you know, just open micing. Okay, you know, just to sharpen your 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 sword. You know. Where do you go? What are places that you like that that you know, if mm-hmm. a joke lands, it's gonna work? Like where are places that you like to go? Uh, the Miami Comedy Circuit has a lot of great spots that you can try out material. Uh, you know what's a <laughs> if if there's other Miami comics listening to this, they're gonna disagree. But one spot that I like to go to is Taurus, the the whiskey bar down in the, the Grove. Correct. Okay. That's, that, a, that's a super small venue. That's it's like, a super small venue, and nobody pays attention. <laughs> right. It's really, like... It's just a bar. It's a bar, and, like, it feels like they've been doing the comedy show there for years. Before I even came down here, they've been doing that show for three years, and the people that frequent that bar still act like they're bombarded. Like, what are they doing? It's a comedy show? And it's like, you know this has been going on for, like, 13 years now, and people are still shocked to see us put a mic up there and start doing comedy. But the reason why I like trying out jokes over there is because you really have to earn their attention. Hmm. I think that's a very underrated skill as a comic is to hold people's attention. And I, I truly believe that at Taurus, like you can do a whole set and nobody, everybody's talking over you. But at one point during your set, they will listen. 
if you can grasp if you can grab their attention in that 30 second window or whatever it is you have them and then you can keep on going from there so what, what's your secret your secret for that what is do you have a do you have a move for that oh man I I'll, think, I'll share a move of mine like go ahead. I'm doing an interview uh, and, a, and a person is talking, thinking about a thing that they're doing and they're kind of looking away, but if they look at me in the eye and I hold their eye contact for a minute, then I feel like they open up further. So for me, it's eye contact. What do you find that is the skill that when you're up there in front of like a noisy bar where people are throwing darts or getting drunk, that you can hook them? Well, one small trick that I do is that uh, I kind of don't talk too loud on the mic. And oh, I feel that's like... Funny. I feel like once if if everybody's not paying attention, I just speak a little lower just to pique their like their curiosity. Like what is he saying? And once I see them look, then I start to speak a little louder. And another thing that I do is I never make the audience the enemy. A lot of comics will go up there and they will cuss out the audience. Oh, you pick got, fights with the yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. making got, fun of people. Yeah, we're trying we're trying our best out here to tell jokes and stuff like this. It's like you never want to be the enemy. Oh no! Because then they'll, they'll really start talking over you. They right. don't care. They'll they're paying for their drinks. They're trying to have a good time as well. So you know you always want to be grateful for them, thankful for their, their them being there, regardless if they knew there was a show or not. Thank you guys for coming. And uh, you you'll find that 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 uh, gratitude works, and people will start to listen. Right. Well, I want to talk about you know all those all those moments where you're working at the bars in small venues, and then kind of where that leads, because ultimately it leads with you being on stage opening for some pretty big names. Our guest today is Chris Renoir. He's a comedian from Broward who recently made his acting debut in the indie film Mountains, and he recently opened for the comedian Hassan Minaj at the Arts Center. So before you get that moment, everybody always has a moment where they think, especially in a creative career, is, am I going to make it at this? Am I, am I good enough to make it at this? Did you go through a period like that where you felt like, Maybe I should listen to my parents now. I'm still young enough where I can go back to law school. <laughs> I don't think it was ever that extreme. I, I I don't think I've... One thing that I, I know is that I'll never give up at this, hmm. you know. I I know it's probably wrong to say this, but sometimes I feel like this is the only thing I'm good at, you know. And, you know, I've seen this one interview clip from Dave Chappelle. You know, I, I love Dave Chappelle. He was on Inside the Actor's Studio. Uh, you remember that program? I love that show. With James Limpton? Yeah. That was a great show. And like, we're here today with Chris Renoir. <laughs> Please, Chris, tell us about your If journey. you could do that voice for the next 20 minutes, I would love it. I'm just going to do the rest of the show like that. <laughs> um, no, my producer says no. She won't oh, let me okay, do it. Okay, okay. Elisa, all right. All right well, just Elisa, for her, I won't do it. No, you're no fun, Elisa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, I, he, had a, he had a clip that, uh, that I used to play back when I was 14 years old, watching every comedic clip that I can on my iPod Touch. And it was his conversation with his father before he moved out to L.A. to do comedy. And um, his father was telling him, you know, a lot of people move out to L.A. to try to make it. And a lot of people don't make it. And I just want you to know that before you go over there. And Dave told his dad, he was like, well, it depends on what you think making it means. Hmm. And his father was like, what do you mean by that? And he goes, well, you're a teacher. I think if I go to L.A. and do comedy and make a teacher's salary, that's making it to me. Oh, right on. And his father said, if you go in with that attitude, then you'll be you'll be fine. And so that I felt like that was the attitude that I've always had. You know, as entertainers or not even just entertainers, 
everybody can relate to this is this feeling of wanting to be successful but everybody has a different idea of what success means and you have to define that for yourself before you go into any endeavor because especially now with social media you accomplish something but then you log into instagram and your friend accomplished something that is amazing and it makes you feel bad about all the work you put in to get what you have and so it's very important to define your success early on so that you can be happy with everything that you gain so to be honest, um, sometimes I can be like, I don't I don't know if I'm going to make it. But if my 14 year old self were to see me now in this studio doing an interview, he would be like, Chris, you made it, you know. Well, don't forget us when you're when you're even bigger. <laughs> but but no, but seriously, I, I do think that you hit you hit on something specific, something very, really important, which is what is your definition of success? Right. Like if you're if you're doing what you enjoy every day and it's paying the bills, mm-hmm. I guess you're there. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so um, did your dad come around to that position? Your mom and dad? Oh, of course. Now my dad's giving me economy, comedy tips. He's like, I was just watching this clip of Cat Williams. You have to see it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad, my dad, um, you know, I wrote a book a few years ago uh, with Simon and Schuster. And I and years before that, he would always say, uh, you know, uh, you have to uh, do a book on my life. My life is a book, <laughs> and I ended up like the book is 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 a little bit of a of a little bit of a recap part of his life. And wow. I remember thinking like you were right all along. Like, yeah. So maybe they have something to teach. Of course, especially my mother. Sometimes, you know, we're we're so hard headed as kids when your parents are telling you something because you know everything already. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so, it's, but when they tell you, like my mother, she always talks about. Uh, presentation and how your first impression is your last impression many mm. times mm. and it's hard to hear it sometimes as an artist you just want to be a rebel and go places hey listen I'm an artist they're gonna love me for my art regardless but uh, there's many many things that even though they don't know the specifics of the entertainment business that my mom imputes on me and my dad imputes on me that you know whether I know it now or not they are completely right and I respect all their opinions I take them all in even if I, I don't seem to enjoy when they're lecturing me on certain things, I always take it into consideration because I'm very, very lucky and privileged, obviously, to have two parents that uh, not only love me, but support my dreams now. You know, we, we've talked enough about your dad. We've picked on your poor dad for a while. What about your mom? <laughs> Does she ever show up in your comedy? You know, or is I, that too dangerous territory? That is that is exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Carlos. I fear that woman. <laughs> no, but honestly, uh, my mom is where I got my sense of humor from. Oh, really? Yes. She was the funny. She was. There's she, always somebody in your family yes, who makes you laugh. Right? My mom is is the comedian of the family, and uh, she used to tell me growing up. She had uh, coworkers that used to say, "You missed your calling. You should have been a comedian." And so I guess it dr- went down one generation and dropped onto me, and I, I'm uh, carrying that torch for my mother. But my mom, she's amazing. You know, I remember her telling me. When she was younger in Haiti, you know, because she came over here in the 80s with my, not with my father, but, you know, they both moved here in the 80s, met here. But uh, she used to tell me growing up when she was younger, she would pray that she wouldn't have to raise children in Haiti, you know, Mm. because, you know. She must have seen people struggle to do that. Or or her own mother, maybe. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's a nation that's struggling. And uh, she just wanted better for her children. And so 
she sacrificed a lot. She came to this country. She learned the language. She got a job, you know, uh, met my father, built this tremendous life for me and my two brothers. And so, you know, one of my biggest inspirations is my mother and knowing that I want to honor the sacrifices that she made for me and my brothers, mm. you know. Have yeah. you ever have you ever had a chance to go to Haiti, like go back with your family or anything like that? Honestly, my little brother went when he was younger. I've never went. Uh, I recently got my passport, honestly, last year to go to Haiti. My grandmother's there. I haven't seen my grandmother in over a decade. Oh, wow. But, you know, what, what's, what's going on right now in Haiti is really dangerous. And so as much as I want to go, I've had people tell me, hey, Chris, maybe not, not now. It's not the best time. So it's, it's very much in my intentions to go, but I'm looking for the, the right time, you right. know. So talk to me about then. Uh, it, I imagine that when, if and when you ever make the trip to Haiti, there will be there'll be comedy to come from that. Talk to me about making comedy here. Like, um, how is your how's your scope expanded from when you're you know from when you started 14 years old, uh, kind of watching people to where you are now, which is you know you're opening for you know the likes of Hassan Minaj. Mm-hmm. Like, where does that where does that take you next? Where, well, you know, because uh, doing co- comedy here, you know, I. I'm going to keep on name dropping this guy, Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Dave, send this man a check already. Yeah, please. Come on, man. <laughs> Let's go on tour. Um, but for sure, knowing being a comic, you you have to kind of be knowledgeable of what's going on around you mm-hmm. in the world, uh, locally, you know, in the country. Um, so with comedy, uh, I've, I've noticed that I've, I've stayed up to tune on the news a lot. Um, because in that way, you can relate to people even more. Right. You know, knowing what's going on in their neck of the woods. I, I'm curious because you mentioned Dave a couple times already. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I grew up watching his comedy too. And he's got a lot of blowback because you're talking about writing about things that are in the news and being being aware and relevant what's in the news. And he's got a lot of blowback recently and really in the last in the last maybe five or five or seven, eight years mm-hmm. for his trans comedy, for supposedly punching down. Right. Right. So what do you learn from that? What I learned from that is that comedy audiences are so much more diverse than we give credit to. Mm. There's so many other people that's listening and want to enjoy comedy as well. And so, you know, you have a lot of comics that are just like, people are too sensitive nowadays. Mm. And uh, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, there there is a, a certain section of, I guess, the internet of people who want to find a problem with everything. But to me, I feel like nowadays... People just want better written material. Mm. I find it as a challenge to to try to find a way for everybody to enjoy comedy. And it's, it reminds me of something you said earlier about kind of an early lesson. Don't pick a fight with the audience. Right. Don't pick a fight with your audience. You know, obviously you don't want Patrice O'Neill is another great influence of mine, too. I love him. He has a totally different uh, outlook on that. He's like, if you're doing a show, 50% of the people have to love you and 50% of the people have to hate you. Oh, okay. That's how you know you're really doing comedy. I don't know if I'm there yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, journalism is a lot like that, too. If, you're, it doing, really? if you're doing it right, uh, half the people like it and half the people are mad at you. Right, <laughs> right, right. So maybe I have to do a better job of getting people to, to riff uh, with me as well. Um, but honestly, I believe that... Um, when it comes to doing more controversial comedy mm-hmm. in that in that way, uh, people just want better written jokes. You know, people, everybody wants to enjoy material. 
Um, and when you talk about better written jokes, talk to me about what that means. Does that mean just like having a thought and then instead of writing that joke, think about the next thought, like the the deeper thought from there? Or? Yes. It, sometimes the the best joke is the simple joke. So if you think about it too much, you might kill the comedy. I would say that punching down is what you want to avoid at all costs. You know, as as a comedian, I feel like in our entertainment space, we are the most down to earth performers. We we are the people that are most like the quote unquote common folk. You know what I mean? And so if you are positioning yourself as somebody that's an enemy towards the audience, it's a very weird space to be in because it's like they're trusting you. They feel like they're with you, you know, even though you're on the stage and you're holding the mic and it's your time. They feel like they can relate to you, you know? And so it's kind of a betrayal once you punch down on somebody in the mm-hmm. crowd, you know? Have you have you ever had a moment where you're where you're you know that you're gonna experiment with the joke? You know that you're gonna like, I'm not sure how this is gonna go over. Um, oh, for sure. And do you and how do you deal with that? Honestly, um <laughs> it's it's very nerve wracking because, you know, all the comics are kind of avoiding trying to be cancelled. You know, that's a very scary thing for a lot of people. But um Because your your career is based on being uh, being popular enough, right? Right. And and if your popularity gets turned off overnight, mm-hmm. your career gets turned off overnight. Right. Uh, it's almost like being a lawyer who gets disbarred all of a sudden. Yeah, exactly. But you know, and but that's what it feels like. I don't mm. honestly believe that's your experience if you tell a risky joke. Because, mm. you know, as comics, we defend the right to tell that joke. Oh, I love even that. if it's bad. Us as comics, for the most part, we will defend you. And so you always have the comedy community at, uh, behind your back, you know, mm-hmm. to hold you up. Hey, yeah. listen, you said a joke that wasn't, you know, but we defend the the right to, you know, it's the First Amendment. Right. Freedom of speech. Right. And so you go back and you, you just have to write better material, you know, because you can be risky. You can push the boundaries. But... uh at what's the expense it has to be at the expense of making people laugh it can't just be to disparage people and to make people feel bad you know do you have someone who's your first listener like when you're trying out a joke whether it's mom or dad or your friend or a a loved one who is the first person that you you hit a new joke with i'm i'm kind of sad to say this because now she's gonna she's gonna know but possibly my girlfriend Okay, but, but I don't. <laughs> I oh, don't you tell. Just her. Give up a lot of power, right? <laughs> <now>. <laughs> I know she's gonna be like, "Oh wow, so I'm your comedy writer." She's sitting in the crowd, going, "That was my joke. <laughs> right. I approve that joke." And she, you know, sometimes I tell her, "I'm like, that's a good joke. I'm gonna write that down." And I'm like, "You just wrote me a joke," and she's like, "I didn't write that. You said that all yourself." And I'm like, "No, you wrote that." But uh, you know, sometimes you just like, as a comic, sometimes, well, at least for me, I like to make my jokes conversational, so. I kind of like try to throw it in in a conversation that I'm having with somebody and just give them a side eye and see if they laughed at that. Oh, you're and doing you're doing little mini sets. Just little Let mini me do sets. A bit. Let me just yeah. do a bit here real quick. Right, exactly. Some people catch on. They're like, don't do that on stage, Chris. I'm like, <laughs> I, that was my intentions, but you're right. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I, I always aim to make my jokes more conversational. So I feel like, you know, I'm always talking to my girlfriend, so I might just throw in a joke right there. See what she thinks. If she laughs, okay, I might try that on stage. Same thing with my brothers. I always have conversation with my older brother. I'll throw in a joke. And if my older brother laughs, 
that's that's how you know you got one. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. You you're the middle of two brothers, right? Yes. I got an older brother, that the college graduate. And I Shout got him a, out. Who's he? he? Uh Richard Renoir. Uh I love him. He's he's my my twin. He's like my twin. You know, he was born in ninety six, I was born in ninety seven. So a lot of people think that we were twins growing up. So we're always constantly talking. Constantly talking. Same with my little brother. I love him. People think he's my twin because we look so much alike. Oh, it's funny. Shout out your little brother. Jonathan Renoir, you know, over there at Santa Fe College in uh, Gainesville playing basketball. Yeah. Oh, he's playing basketball. Yeah, he's a point guard. He's living the dream that I wanted initially. Oh, he's living out your dream now. Yeah. I I love him to death, man. He's he's literally the coolest person I know. He's the coolest person I know. He's just very chill, but he's great at basketball because, you know, growing up, I wanted to play basketball, as I said earlier. So uh, my my dad bought us uh, a hoop for the for the we put it in the garage, which is maybe not a safe thing to do. We broke lights and stuff in there, <laughs> but my dad bought us a hoop, and me and my brother would play all the time. I was like ten, and he was five, and I really believe I I birthed a beast in basketball. <laughs> I, I should get my credit for that. You know, you were just relentless. You were yeah, one I was, of those dads. oh man, I was relentless with my little brother, man. I think I almost broke his back one time. I'm not going to lie. Don't tell my parents. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, don't tell mom. Yeah, yeah. Don't tell mom. He's just limping in the house. His okay. toes aren't moving. Don't tell mom. <laughs> He's like, you owe me a soda. Yeah, all right. Well, Dwayne Wade talks about that, about how he, he grew up balling with his dad and his dad's friends outside, and he was the one that always got beat down. But yeah. he's now, you know, get knocked down seven times, get yeah, up eight, get, right? Get up eight, man. Yeah. Shout out to D-Wade, too. That's right. I love D-Wade. Um, so talk to me about a little bit about what you I mean after you play a big show like with Hasan Minhaj tell talk to me about what you have next like what's cooking next what is the what is what do you want to see yourself doing next and like what are your some aspirations because you always have to have the next thing out there right 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 right. well honestly you know we went through that uh, long and crazy strike both with the writers and the actors right now I see so that had you locked down a little bit yeah because you know with the momentum of the movie mountains you know I was looking to see what that can get me but at the time there was no opportunities right there was nowhere to no no doors to knock on right exactly so now with the the doors there to knock on you know uh, I'm looking to see if I can get some other acting opportunities uh but for now uh I just want to um continue to build my fan base through social media different sketch ideas that I have um, I'm trying to get my material up there, you know. I I feel like I have a solid 15, but I'm trying to grow to a 30-minute set, to an hour set, you know, so that I can start headlining myself traveling the country. That's right. So that that is my goal right now. Did you get any feedback from Hassan Minaj? I did. He said, you know, honestly, um, I got to shout out Marcelo Hernandez. Um, from uh, Now on Saturday Night Live. Now on Saturday Night Live. Miami he, kid, yeah. He was, yeah, he was amazing down here i met him down here he's a good friend and uh he was the one that actually told hassan about me and uh, got me on the show so i want to shout out marcelo for that that was amazing oh right on yeah but uh he told me that hassan told him that i was hilarious and uh i met his family afterwards hassan is is great you know i spoke to him about 15 20 minutes before the show Mm -hmm. and it was just like i was catching up with an old friend you know that's perfect so he was very cool got his number afterwards so um, it's always great to meet uh, other comics do, that want to help out and that are very uh, engaging and you know welcoming. You know, so I, I'm I'm eternally grateful to Marcelo Hassan. It was just an amazing experience. Well, Chris, we can't wait to see what you're gonna gonna do next. Thank you so much for spending the hour with us, man. Thank you so much, Carlos. I really appreciate it. 
Our guest today was Chris Renoir. He's a comedian from Broward who recently made his acting debut in the indie film Mountains, and he also opened for the comedian Hassan Minaj. Uh, if you want to find out more about his work, look for him on Instagram at Chris, R-E-N-O-I-S. And that's Sundial for Wednesday, November 29th. Leslie Ovalle Atkinson is our lead producer. Our producer is Elisa Baena. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News, and Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's VP of Radio, and our engineer is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program, a new augmented reality project takes us through different South Florida nature parks. We'll tell you how you can participate from your phone. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. WLRN Public Media.